When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Yep, that's me. I'm here again. Well, I'm glad you're there. How are you feeling? Because the last time we talked, you weren't feeling quite as well. Uh, I think then it was at 85%, and today I'm rocking at a solid 87%. I, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit better every day, I'm telling you. 87%? That's a nice round and number. I, I like to think so. <laughs> Anyways, and I think we're both a little tired today. I stayed up till 4 a.m. playing with our website and you've already called me out for sounding a little tired. So hopefully everybody's going to uh, overlook the fact that I may sound tired. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily called you out for sounding or looking tired. You just didn't seem like your normal self, but also on normal occasions, I don't wake up to a message from you at 4, 11 AM. So (laughs) yeah, I, I could, I definitely noticed. Hey, I like, doing what we're doing i love the show i love the editing i love all the fun stuff and we're trying to build that members only area so everything we cut out of stuff that when we screw up or last week when no one noticed or no one could see that you were making faces at me they'll get to see that you were making faces at me oh so you're blaming this on me okay (laughs) okay giggles so hopefully people will enjoy that anyways this week we're going to talk about something that sometimes can be a little sensitive uh, because it tends to run parallel with politics. And we all know I try to avoid anything that causes the irrational anger of politics. But this is something people should know about. And it's not only carbon cost of products, but the, the term carbon tax or another way they say it is carbon offsetting. You said you remember what carbon cost is. Why don't you start and you tell me and we'll go from there. Great. I get the first chance to look like a fool. Here we go. So I believe, or I think I remember the carbon cost is forgive this use of a term, a blanket term used to describe the financial effect of the amount of carbon we have in the atmosphere at any given time. And I believe that covers things like how much it costs to clean it up, what it's from, the vehicles, you know, different things we have, the burning of fossil fuels, so on and so forth. And I'm sure that I missed a few things because you're going to tell me, but that's what I remember. And and honestly, a lot of it is measured in the embodied energy of this product. It's what it took to get it started, what it took to make it, what it took to get it to everybody, what it took to use it, and then what it took to get rid of it. But it includes all of the the environmental effects, the social effects, all go into this carbon cost. We've talked a lot of times about different products, where they're from, how we get them. This is kind of a big deal. This is how business looks at it. This is how business takes that product and says, what is our carbon cost? Okay. Well, I guess that makes a little more sense. My question, though, is if business looks at it like that, is do businesses do anything about it? And I think the answer for most businesses is no. Well, 
it's yes it's probably a solid comment there is that most businesses look at the overall cost as their as their full matrix now or metrics there are a handful of businesses out there that use that triple bottom line that we talked about in the past where they take mm-hmm. their you know the environmental cost the social cost and the actual profits and measure them the same but that's not common but it should be because as we move forward and as environmental needs grow with climate change, mm-hmm. that's how we're going to measure it. There is no ifs, ands, buts about it. It's going to have to be measured by what it takes to get it there. And it's funny because a lot of people who oppose, let's say, a carbon tax, for an example, have to also realize you would be taxed less when you buy it from your own country. Because it is, yes, the emissions, but you get to count the transportation. And if you're getting something from the other side of the planet, you're creating more emissions. Isn't that the truth? And supporting these processes reduce how much you get from further away. You start to bring it in local. You start to want to reduce the overall carbon content of your product. And you can do that pretty handily by getting rid of flight and by getting rid of shipping by just having it local. Well, yeah, that has to produce an enormous amount of fossil fuels and pollution with like the cargo ships. And I'm not really sure how jet fuel is. I can't imagine that it's any better, but um, I know the cargo ships go through an obscene amount of fossil fuel and they go across the ocean. So that actually is a lot. And that's something most people probably don't really consider, but we should, because in this country, almost everything you buy is from China or someplace over in Asia. It's not exactly next door. No, I mean, there's a lot of parts for where, like I said, I work in automotive. We, we get a lot of parts from China. We get a lot of, a, a lot of things from India, uh, Indonesia, Korea, all these pieces come from all over the place. The, the carbon cost of those is quite high. Now, some of these companies fight the whole concept of carbon cost because of that reason. They have low, pl- they have low price suppliers and they don't want to lose mm-hmm. those low price suppliers because they have to get it local. It it makes them just as high cost as buying local. So, you know, there is this political argument where people are tug of warring back and forth. So I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on the carbon cost. We know why it matters. We know because we need to reduce the amount of emissions Mm -hmm. that are are going into our atmosphere. And at least 55% of the general public believes that and agrees with that. So one of the things that has come up is a carbon tax. When I say that, what does that say to you? Oh, Lord. When you say carbon tax, I assume that most big businesses are probably under some kind of regulation for the amount of impact they have on the environment. And they pass that cost on to the people who purchase the items instead of actually being responsible and taking care of it themselves. So if they're getting taxed, you know, a few million dollars instead of actually, you know, making the problem go away or, you know, what trying to improve, they probably just increase the cost of their item so they don't have to absorb the loss. Yeah. A carbon tax is the financial side where if you are a company that is no, you know, emits a certain amount or more emissions, you start paying a tiered tax for each level. That is how the carbon tax functions is if you're below it, you don't have it. So if you get someone who has a company who's figured it out and they've kind of reset the way they do things and they stay under that line. So, and this is so the federal government can, uh, can see what are we really emitting countrywide? 
how are we contributing to the climate change compared to China or India or Russia or even Europe? Mm-hmm. This is how we, this is the metric. So when when they register, we have inspectors and all this fun stuff, and we get to measure each one of them in a sense, or they report it back to us. And if it doesn't seem right, they send a person out to check. Now we know what we're emitting, and those who emit too much, the incentive to stop doing that is financial. You get a tax, you get a, a, a penalty, if you will. Goal is that they'll keep bringing it down so that they don't pay that tax. Well, that, yeah, they don't want to pay that tax. That is usually a massive political fight. That is the, we don't want regulation because it kills jobs conversation. I hate those conversations. Regulations in most sectors are needed to keep things, I guess, fair. I mean, fair to the environment, fair to the employer, fair to the, the customer. Do I think all, every single regulation is a good thing? You know, probably not. There's probably some in place that are ridiculous. But for the most part, they don't kill jobs. In my opinion, they keep honest companies honest. But that's my opinion. Well, and most, when I see a problem like this, I start with the history. I look where we're at and see who would it would affect if we got rid of it. Hmm. The history is pretty clear. That's how you get rid of leaded fuels. That's how you get rid of lead and paint. That's why mercury isn't more used in a lot of different ways. Regulation is designed to protect us so that we don't have too many pieces of a rat in our peanut butter. We don't have chunks of fly in our jellies. So those regulations are used so that we don't have these problems as often at least. So yeah, a lot of companies don't like the concept of carbon tax because they call it that horrible, horrible restriction against their business. It kills jobs. It makes things more expensive. But again, it honestly just protects the people who use their products. So that's that's the first way they try to curb emissions through regulation. The second way is the most common use now. Where I work in the auto industry, we use carbon offsets. And carbon offsets are, here's the level I need to be at. Here's the level I'm at. Now I can go to a company like Tesla, or I can go to companies that produce alternative energies or clean energies, and I can buy credits from them. That is so that it brings my usage down. So a portion of the energy we bring to market is solar or wind to make up where we've had this problem. So you can offset your current emissions through those processes. Okay. And that's how we do it. We we know we're not going to hit the current targets. So we we actually buy offset credits from Tesla because they have a lot of them. They don't run internal combustion engines. That's true. They, even um, their production, they, a lot of things are done battery-wise. So they have a lot to sell, and they can make money because that's the business they're in. I have a really ignorant question. Um, now, because he owns Solar City and he owns Tesla, do those two companies intertwine at all? I mean, are, are his entire factories covered in solar panels? I think it was, I think it was 2018. I'm sure someone will fact check me. I just, I'm not going to Google it. Solar City was bought by Tesla. So Solar City does a lot of the Tesla fast charge stations. They'll put up solar units to help subsidize charging of the vehicles. And they still mm-hmm. do their leasing of the solar panels on roofs. 
but Solar City is now Tesla. Tesla does the power wall battery that was originally being developed for Solar City. So okay. I don't I don't even think the Solar City brand necessarily exists anymore because I don't see a lot about it. I think it's okay, just I didn't Tesla. know that. I think it's just a division of Tesla now. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. So any company. Okay. So how do you feel about a regulation that forces you to stay under a certain amount of emissions? Because it, I'm sure, increases our cost on our vehicles. Okay. So generally speaking, in every aspect of your life, there is some kind of law or rule or regulation, which is just a big word for law or rule, that facilitates people not being able to do things to the worst possible extent. I say that because most people are people of excess. We have a tendency to go overboard with things. And companies, that they're in business to earn a profit. So if they're not kept in check or regulated, there's a good chance they're going to cut a couple corners and they're going to do everything they can to earn a buck. And while I'm not against people earning money, I want people to succeed and do well, not at the cost of the earth or their their heck, their employees. If there's like what HIPAA laws and OSHA laws, like there's all different types of rules that keep companies in check. So if you have if you're owner of a factory and you don't have a good work environment that's safe, they can come in and shut you down. So I think that regulations are good. I, I really do. I hate I know people are gonna hear this and they're gonna boo me, but they I think they're good. Well, and regular like I said, regulations are usually a response to a failure in a market. There was periods of time in history where rivers could catch on fire and did. Way too much oil. Okay. Google it. There was so much uh, waste being pumped into the river that it became flammable and caught on fire. And if I remember correctly, and I can't remember off the top of my head, it's either Pennsylvania or Ohio, but that was one of the major events that led to the, you know, the first Clean Water Act. That's the part I think people tend to forget that sometimes things work so well that we don't see the negative effects anymore. And then we wonder why we have this in place. And this is a good example. They put a you know Clean Air Act, Clear, Clear Clean Water Act, any kind of environmental act. People have a feeling that the earth is clean because they go outside, they smell reasonable air. You can't see Gary, Indiana from a distance anymore. Mm-hmm. And so they go, well, why the heck are you killing jobs by doing this? Well, it's because it's working, not because it's not needed. Unfortunately, you're right. Businesses do take that opportunity when given. Well, I mean, yeah, and like I said, it's understandable. People want to earn a living, and I, I can't fault anyone for that. But I think that they need to look at the big picture, and the big picture is if you want to keep doing business, if you want to keep having a place to do business, a you want to keep having an employee pool of people that are going to come in and work those ships. You've got to take care of the three things. You got to take care of your environment, your employees, and your customers. And if you don't check those boxes, you should not be in business. Well, and I think the companies that use that triple bottom line have it kind of figured out already before they're forced to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you again, the same people who hate buying from overseas hate being told that you have to protect the environment. Well, if you this is a, a double win. If you choose a carbon offset or carbon tax, it's going to mm-hmm. force all of our manufacturing back closer. It's going to force all the fruits and vegetables to be grown regionally. You're just going to by default they're going to be it's going to be cheaper for them now to do business in close 
because they can take away all that transportation, all that warehousing, all this other stuff. Plus, a lot of times you're getting it produced in a factory overseas that don't have those regulations. So now you you have to account for those emissions too. Well, you're right. And it's just further than those emissions. Now, I'm not going to speak to the, the well-being of any other country, but there are several companies that do business overseas where there aren't exactly good living environments. Or in some cases, we had talked a lot of times about companies that have nets on the outside of the buildings because their employees are so miserable that they jump off. Right. And their solution um, was nets, not make it better. Yeah. Don't make them happy. Just make it harder for them to end it. That that depresses me. And it's just not necessarily, you know, what we meant when we start talking about carbon costs, but I just think the businesses really should, you know, improve in that aspect. Well, and I think most of the businesses, when it comes to over the last four years, a mm-hmm. lot of these things were kind of repealed. So businesses were open back up to do worse, I guess. Luckily, where I worked, when I spoke to someone about that, their answer was, you never go backwards. It never pays to devolve. Someday they're going to tell us to go forward again. We might as well keep going forward for once we'll be the ones ahead. That's a good way to look at that. I don't necessarily, I don't think that a lot of people would think differently than that. But I also would feel foolish to believe that most businesses would move forward like that. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think that the world would be a better place if most people just looked at it like, okay, well, progress for progress sake, always be moving forward. I love that. I think it's gorgeous. I think a lot of people will go, nah, no one's watching. Unfortunately, a lot of, you know, I deal with sub suppliers and a lot of other manufacturing mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter if it's an inability to meet the goal or just a personal inside political mindset. A lot of times they're like, I ain't doing it. I'm just not doing it. I don't have to do it, so I'm not doing it. We don't have to do that. We're, you're getting this. And I'll tell you, when I'm picking suppliers, I watch for that. Because well, I, you do, should. I do get to pick who builds something. And it mm-hmm. will not be the company. Because if they're that disregardant to the future, mm-hmm. what tells me our relationship will still be good in the future? Nothing. I mean, if you, at that point, you know, you would base your... You would base your faith in the future on, you know, watching what they do. And if they can't be counted on to do the right thing, then they have no character. And if someone has no character in business, they'll get business ethics. And why do business with them? Right. There, unfortunately, I do see a lot of that. And again, because of the of the, the current climate and how things are, people pick sides, they pick teams, they mm-hmm. they think... They think they're loved by a team and they must act accordingly. And it's probably pretty misguided, mm-hmm. but it is something that is going to have to change. We have to change the amount of emissions. Now, granted, it's going to happen. We're going to change the electrical grid at some point. When, when, we, when we push on the brews long enough, they're going to have to change it. Mm-hmm. I already know vehicles are going to electric. I mean, A lot of my suppliers are no longer making parts for internal combustion engines. They're pouring all their money into this research for electric because that is the future of vehicles. Mm -hmm. And as long as that is the future of vehicles and more and more EVs are hitting the road, every time they plug in, they stress this electrical grid. Mm -hmm. And every time they stress this electrical grid, someone is saying, we have to fix that because that's what's going to have to happen. They can't just 
let it crash. The let the grid is one of those things that just has to function because we're well beyond pretending like every day we could camp. Most of society. Well, yeah, can. no, I agreed. And and the grid is is a necessity, unfortunately, right now. And because I mean, at this point, like in Michigan, we're in the middle of winter, so if the grid goes down, a lot of us are in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to keep your home hot without power. Now, my my furnace doesn't have. A, I don't even think it even has an electric pilot. I think it's got a little push button that if it goes out, you manually light it, and then everything else does its thing. But a lot of people don't have that, so the grid has to be there. And I wish I had the statistic of how many electrical vehicles were actually on the road right now. I don't have it. But I'd be willing to bet that it's probably only one in every 10, maybe. It's it's smaller than that. But Tesla is producing more and more vehicles. Remember, they're still chasing the purchases. Every Mm -hmm. vehicle Tesla builds is sold or going for a display to get more sales. Mm-hmm. That's that's why we always hear about, can they hit production? Can they hit production? And that's how their stock is moving. Now they're starting to really produce a lot of vehicles. And that's putting a lot of EVs on the roads. There's a lot of people buying new cars and buying them as electric. Like, I think we just talked about this last week, Hummer. So General Motors mm-hmm. is releasing a all-electric Hummer. So they can bring back that big body style. This You know, Americans like these massive vehicles. Mm-hmm. But but it's really expensive to run them when fuel when fuel gets back up high. It oh. I mean, what well, we saw just recently at Christmas time, they thought maybe the economy was going to be okay, and gas went from two dollars to two forty. So it's they're just waiting to be able to bump it back up. So these big vehicles like the Hummer, people love them, but they can't afford to drive them. Well, you can if they're electric. Well, absolutely. I mean, even my my pickup truck we talked about this in the last episode it gets 12 miles to a gallon so if gas hits three dollars a gallon it now costs me 70 dollars to fill my tank hummers do worse than my truck on gas yeah and it's not it's not just hummers there's diesel dualies and there's there's big jeeps like there's a lot of really you know bigger internal combustion vehicles and when gas goes up yeah that's a that's a big one that's pushing a brick (laughs) i love them but lord have mercy uh, it was funny when when I worked at one of the suppliers, we had mm-hmm. people from Italy coming in all the time and we'd go take them here and take them there. Well, one of the guys who worked there had a Suburban and we would all climb into that Suburban and the guys from Italy would make jokes about it's just a driving apartment. I have an apartment just barely bigger than your vehicle. How can you drive this thing? Because they were just amazed that, you know, you can maneuver your way down a road driving what they kept calling a school bus. <laughs> and because in, in Italy, everything is a Fiat. Everything's pretty small. Mm-hmm. Roads are real narrow. It's a lot tighter. If you had a dually in most places in Italy, you're sticking over into the other lane. Because mm-hmm. there is no side of the road. There is no ditch in most places. <laughs> you have sidewalk, road road sidewalk and if you're anywhere off to the side you're driving up on the sidewalk wow Uh, i know maserati has guaranteed that they're going to go 100 electric within the next three years wow that's amazing and and that is maserati is who is in charge of alfa romeo and we know ford we know chevrolet has the bolt and you know we know these other vehicles Mm -hmm. are coming out jeep is now doing an all-electric sports utility i've seen that yeah yep for off-road we know it's coming and all of these things are going to have to plug into this archaic grid Mm -hmm. 
that makes this carbon cost, this carbon tax, either tax or offset, temporary. This is something that we just have to do to get people moving in the right direction until we fix the things that are supposed to stop the whole problem. Because if you fix the grid and everybody draws from clean sources, we, we dramatically drop global emissions. Oh, absolutely. Because didn't you tell me that you've said, pretty sure you said it several times, most of the, um, the grid is ran on like burning coal. And there's only what, like you said, 16, 17% of that actually gets to our houses. Depending on where you live, like here in Michigan, it used to be primarily coal. Mm -hmm. They have dramatically reduced our coal consumption here in Michigan for natural gas. Now, yes, when you burn natural gas, you have less carbon emissions. The problem that we have with natural, uh, natural gas is that it leaks. You can drive mm -hmm. by places and smell it. That methane is seven times, seven to 10 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon release was. So I'm still on the firm understanding that if you got to burn it, don't do it. Okay. Here in Michigan, we primarily use, we primarily use natural gas substituted <laughs> with, with coal and a little bit of oil. And then we use 11% renewable resources. But of that 11%, 20% of the renewables is burning wood. Well, that's not renewable. Because they say it can be grown, it gets to count it in that section. That's why every time you guys hear me have this conversation, I say it's not renewable because we use it faster than we grow it. We want clean energy sources. We want turbines. We want solar. We want hydrogen fuel. I want the dams that we have with, with hydroelectric working, not any new ones. If there's an opportunity for title or something else, you take it, but you stay the heck away from burning anything <laughs> because it's always mm -hmm. releasing the carbon. Well, it's, it's releasing the carbon, but also, like you said, it's, it, I guess if they just moved, and I mean, honestly, moved all the way just to just burning wood at the rate that they burn versus what can actually grow, we just, it would destroy our, our, our you know, foliage across the, the country. Uh, trees, and I, I don't think they burn anything else. I mean, I love to think that they just burned hemp or bamboo, but I don't think that's happening. Well, they'll, it'll um, say organic material, and I'm sure there's some other organic material, like garbage. There's trash incineration that sometimes gets to be used as energy. But those are all archaic. And the reason why we have to have a carbon tax or a carbon mm -hmm. offset is because we have neglected to resolve the problem. So if anybody's listening to this and you're thinking about the, the political side of any of this, realize it's, it's inaction that has cost us the amount of money it will cost to make those changes. Well, inaction is honestly just as bad as bad action. Uh, there's a, a quote from a movie that says that everyone, we should all fear evil men, but the, there's another evil we must fear, and that's the indifference of good men. The absence of positive action is just the same as a negative action, in my opinion. Right, and here we are. We can't change much of anything by walking around and hoping that people hear what we say by telling them, don't do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. But we can do this show. We can do some videos. Hopefully, people hear this, and they carry it on. Our voice gets stronger because others understand it. So first of all, if you're listening to this and there is questions, ask. If we don't know the answer, we'll find the answer for you. These are all important aspects and we want everybody to be able to have this conversation whenever they have that opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, 
I appreciate anyone that takes the time to listen to this, but really their feedback and their commentary is kind of where, in my opinion, I get inspiration as to where to go next. And if people, you know, have things they'd like to hear us talk about, or if they had things maybe we haven't thought of yet, everyone has a voice. So I'd love to hear what people have to say and think. Well, and before we close the show, we've actually had feedback, not just your normal message feedback, because I've gotten text messages and you've gotten conversation, you've had conversations with friends and family. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, on the Greening Your Your Life webpage, it hasn't been chats there, but there has been on the Facebook and on the Facebook group. But now we're actually getting them pushed through the podcast to anchor. And mm-hmm. really do appreciate that. I hope that we can have more commu- two-way communication. I have n- not figured out how to respond <clears throat> to people who have sent voice messages yet, but I am going to figure it out because I want to be able to, I want to be able to have that conversation with the people who want to talk about it. And if we can use your audio, if you send us a message through Anchor, tell us in the audio that we can use it because I'm going to listen to them. Nick's going to listen to them. And if we can have some kind of action from it or a discussion from it, I'd like to be able to use your, your audio. So we appreciate it. It's, it lets us know someone's listening. It lets us know someone cares and that what we're saying has some weight. And that's kind of cool to me. Oh, it's fantastic. It's inspiring. And (sighs) I made a comment the other day that, you know, in terms of social media, it's great to put content out there, but it, it gets, it gets uh, tedious when you don't feel like anyone's listening. And to know that even though I am the, the ignorant person of us in this, to know that people listen to us, it makes me very happy. I'm constantly telling you how many listens, like I, I watch it obsessively because to me, it's kind of almost amazing sustainability is something I just love. I love it from an engineering aspect. I love it from energy side, the efficiencies. It is the most worthwhile puzzle that we can ever solve. And because I love it so much, I'm always worried that I'm going to bug the heck out of people. And they're just going to, you know, my poor wife has to listen to plants and growing and gardens, you know, solar energy. And she does such a good job hiding that glassy look sometimes. And, (laughs) and, and I'm always afraid that when we have these conversations that it's going to cause that. But I'm really excited that there's people out there that have a passion about reducing their waste. There's people have a passion about not wasting energy or water. So I want to take this moment just to say thank you to everybody who's listening. We're honored. I'm, I'm absolutely flattered. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, that's all for this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, let us know. Send us a message on our Facebook page or group. Leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. These reviews, comments, those are how we get found in the search engines, which means the more you do it, the easier it is for others to find this podcast. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We appreciate your support. And remember, we only have to get a little better than we were yesterday. Little bit, little bit, well, it always results in big bit. Thanks again. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. This episode is sponsored by Melting Me. 
Join the star of Melting Me, Nicholas Nazarian, in his journey of weight loss as he tries to teach himself how to live a healthy life in a supersized world. This podcast is an honest and open look at everything from his real life struggles to his victories big and small. Come get your melt on with Melting Me on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Now please enjoy the show.